1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. This morning we'll see in this text that the master builder chooses and sets the right cornerstone so that the stones he uses serve to build a house that is pleasing to him. The master builder determines and sets, puts in place the cornerstone. We'll talk about what that cornerstone is, what it looks like. But the master builder is the one who establishes and sets in place that cornerstone so that the building that is built upon the placement of that cornerstone is, in fact, ultimately pleasing to him. He's the builder. He's the builder. Ultimately, the beauty and the joy and the glory of that building is intended to be a pleasure to the one who builds it, the master builder, the one who designs it, the one who is delighted in it, is the Father. The cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ. Point number one, point number one, I want you to see this cornerstone. Point number two, I want you to see the building stones. Number three, I want you to see the master builder. And number four, I want you to see the false builders. So the cornerstone, the building stones, the master builder, and the false builders. First, we want to look at this cornerstone. Interesting, isn't it, that this stone is referred to as a living stone. That's certainly an oxymoron. It's a metaphor. And you use figures of speech. I use figures of speech. Everybody uses figures of speech. But when the liberal theologian looks at the Bible, he says the Bible can't use figures of speech. It doesn't make sense. If it doesn't make sense, then the Bible doesn't make sense. The fact is this is a metaphor. And the idea is it was once dead, and now it is alive. This idea, though, of a cornerstone has even further significance. I'll give you three sub-points. Okay, so point number one, the cornerstone, letter A, 1A. This stone is chosen. This stone is chosen. You see from our text in verse 4, and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice. It is choice. It is a choice stone. It is a chosen stone. As I said, this is an unusual metaphor. The word here used for stone is the normal Palestinian term used for a building or construction stone. It's different from the term Petra, which is later used in our text, which is translated as rock. But when we think of this particular stone, the the stone to which Peter is referring here, he doesn't call him a cornerstone yet. He just refers to him as a stone and as a living stone. 
this harkens back to chapter 1, verse 20, where Peter says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. God determined, the Father determined that the Son would be this stone that would be referred to as a living stone. You can say it this way, God in his sovereign prerogative chose his Son, Jesus Christ, to be that choice stone. Letter B, letter B, this stone is costly. It's costly. It's not only chosen, it's costly. The term here in your text is precious it's precious in the sight of God if you fast forward to verse 7 Peter uses this phrase this precious value it is of immense value to whom to God the Father the emphasis here by the way is on the evaluation of Christ and not even his own intrinsic value The issue is that it is God's assessment of him. Not to say that Jesus is not ultimately and immeasurably value intrinsically. It's just to say that that's not Peter's point here. What Peter is pointing out is that in the sight of God, this stone is precious. He is choice and he is precious. This stone is highly valued. It is a priceless gem. It is a stone of great worth. Letter C. This stone is crucial. It is crucial. It's not only choice. It's not only costly. It is crucial. Thus the term cornerstone. The cornerstone in the making of a building is the most important stone, especially in the development or the foundation of that building. In verse 6, Peter says, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This is a direct quotation from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And it is with great ease that Peter utilizes these Old Testament references as he speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. This cornerstone forms the extreme outer projection of the wall of a building. It determines the position of everything else on the building. When I was much younger, I had many jobs, one of which was to work on a construction crew. And I worked for a guy who was extremely meticulous. I picked that up along the way from him. I desire to do things with great attention to detail. I believe that's important. This is one example of where inattention to detail will result in great misery. We were applying vinyl siding. We had gotten up into the gable. He got down off his ladder. I was on one ladder. He was on another ladder. We were side by side, and he came down off his ladder. He had a strange look on his face, and he said, take it down. And I said, oh, no problem. So I took the piece down that I was working on. He said, no, take it down. We took the whole wall down because one of us, I'm sure it was him, did something wrong near the bottom. (laughs) Worked for another man for a while who told me that it wasn't unusual in certain circles 
in working in construction, when building a, a, a small four-walled building, for that fourth wall to not meet up properly at the original corner of the first wall. Why? Because somebody didn't pay attention to detail. Somebody didn't properly build upon the cornerstone. Maybe the cornerstone was laid in improperly. Maybe it was laid in properly and somebody didn't measure everything against that cornerstone. But the cornerstone, or in some cases known as the foundation stone, is the stone upon which everything else is measured. Everything works outward from there. In some instances, this is thought of as the capstone. The capstone is, as you can imagine, the stone that goes on the top. It's the cap, but it is still ultimately the stone against which everything else is measured. It was pretty common in our country up until the late 70s that when a building was a near completion, there would be somewhat of a, of a christening of that building, and there would be much attention drawn to that symbolic cornerstone. Churches frequently did this in light of this passage and also in light of Ephesians 2 verse 20. So they would build that building as a place of worship, as a house of God, and in doing so, they wanted that to be committed to the Lord so they would engrave something like uh, First Baptist Church, whatever the city's name is, and, you know, 1957, whatever the year was. Why? They wanted it to be clear that that church was built upon the cornerstone, and they did so by placing a literal cornerstone serving to be symbolic of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, in fact, the cornerstone. So you understand that this cornerstone of which Peter speaks is crucial. He's not any old stone. He's certainly not a dead stone. He's not similar to any other stone. He is the stone that is cut and measured and placed precisely where it needs to be so that everything else will be measured against and built upon that cornerstone. The cornerstone is crucial. In verse 7, Peter says, This precious value then is for you who believe. You see how important it is to get the cornerstone right? If, in fact, let me read that verse again, this precious value then is for you who believe. You see why in many of your lives, certainly in my life, that there was a time where there was some belief that wasn't necessarily real belief. It's necessary that you understand the importance, the significance of who this cornerstone is. Many people say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Jesus Christ of the Bible. You've told me about him. I think I understand who he is. That's the Jesus I believe in. And yet things were askew from the beginning because there was no legitimate, accurate, biblical explanation of this cornerstone. And so all things spiritual become boring. All things spiritual become unimportant, even disdainful. So unappealing because a person who thinks he knows this cornerstone doesn't. Somewhere in the beginning, something was misaligned. There wasn't a legitimate and literal dependence upon that cornerstone. There was lip service to that. Maybe there was a bad explanation, maybe lots of bad explanations, or maybe there was a rejection of a good explanation, but either way, 
This cornerstone is not only chosen, it's not only costly, but it's crucial. It has to be this cornerstone. In any building, the cornerstone has to be the right cornerstone. Point number two, the building stones. These stones are also living. The Bible speaks of Jesus Christ as a living stone. Again, an oxymoron, but a very, very helpful metaphor that you would understand that something that is normally considered to be dead is in fact alive. A stone has many uses. We'll look at some of those. For a a stone that in this case is used to refer to believers, these stones are also living. I I want you to see three things about these building stones as well. Letter A, these building stones come to the cornerstone. They are drawn to this cornerstone. Again in verse 4, and coming to him. This is uh, specifically said about these living stones. This is a present plural verb, meaning it's happening right now. It's ongoing. You know what present means. That's what this verb is. It's not a one-time commitment. It's not something in the past necessarily. It's ongoing. And it's plural. So it's not just you. And coming to him, present, right now, plural, a collective group. This cornerstone is of such great cost, of such great value, and so very, very crucial that the stones themselves that will be used to build the house of God come to that cornerstone. They're drawn to him. In the same way that when a building is built, when the cornerstone is laid, and the workers bring those building stones to the cornerstone, these building stones, who are in fact not just dead stones, but they are living stones, in that they are now alive, they desire to be with the ultimate living stone. They desire to be with that cornerstone. This is not a command here. This is simply a description of what these living stones are doing. They're coming to him. This is not the initial coming to Christ for salvation, but as the commentator Charles Biggs says, but the voluntary, repeated, or habitual coming of believers to Christ for sustenance and fellowship. Why do they come to him? Why would these stones, who were once dead but are now alive, come to the cornerstone? Verse 6 goes on to say, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. Every one of you has experienced disappointment beyond your ability to express. And yet, clearly, on Peter's heart is the importance of our understanding that those who are now living stones, once dead, that if they will draw near, if they will come to the cornerstone, they will not be disappointed in coming to him. This same verb is used several times in the book of Hebrews. I want to give you a few examples from Hebrews, verse 22 of Hebrews 10. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. One of the greatest problems in people's lives is a guilty conscience trace most of their problems back to some point in time that has evolved over time into guilt-ridden thinking and living. 
The writer of Hebrews has told us here that for the person who draws near to this person, the person who draws near to the Lord, or as Peter says it, those living stones who draw near to the cornerstone, their consciences will be cleared. Why? Because forgiveness is granted to everyone for all their sins if they will believe in Him. That's not disappointing. There's nothing disappointing about that. Hebrews 11, verse 6, And without faith... It is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Don't you feel rewarded when you seek Him? When you genuinely throw yourself on your knees? When you go to the Word and you're reading the Word and it's mundane and it's not sinking in and you're thinking, you know, can I just get through this? And, you know, you plead with the Lord to strike you with joy in Him. You plead with the Lord to give you clarity of thought. You plead with the Lord that His Word would mean something to you. It would matter, and you begin to experience the joy of knowing Him and trusting Him, and you're not disappointed. You draw near to Him, and you find that He is not disappointing. He rewards you in your seeking of him well let her be let her be these building stones not only come to the cornerstone but these building stones are constructed into a spiritual house these building stones are constructed into a spiritual house again from verse 4 and coming to him present plural verb more than one person two or more Certainly many more. In fact, we would say an indefinite number. Coming to him, verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. You're being built up as a spiritual house. You're not being built up as what you have heard referred to before as a Lone Ranger Christian. You're not being built up to have a relationship with the Lord. You're being built up to be a spiritual house. Now, now, don't forget the metaphor. The metaphor has to do with you and me being individual stones together when brought together, resting upon that cornerstone, being measured out by the placement and position and the, the choiceness and the preciousness of that cornerstone, work together to be a house of God, a spiritual house we don't want to overdo or misuse the metaphor and talk about a literal building being a house of god that's not the idea here the idea here is that individuals brought together to this cornerstone who are now living stones are being made into a house of god together so it's not the building it's the people it's the souls it's the living souls this is similar to paul's metaphor in romans 12 verse 4 For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. D. Edmund Hebert says here, Peter did not think of them as isolated stones scattered over a field. He pictures them collectively as forming a great spiritual house. They have been brought into a close and permanent union with one another as fellow members of the house of God. And yet, and yet, it's not difficult 
to find someone who, who will say, well, you know, I, I love the Lord, I just don't like organized religion. Well, I don't know everything that's in that person's mind when they make statements like that, so I'm not going to pretend that I know, but I will say this. Peter here is talking about an organized house of individual stones used for the purpose of building a spiritual house. A house that beautifies its maker. A house that glorifies its maker. Again, the master builder chooses and sets the right cornerstone. And when he does, the stones he uses to build the building then serve to please him. He's the builder. He determines how it's going to go. And when he does, he determines that the individual stones of that building work together in a collective effort to be a spiritual house. C.E.B. Cranfield says, The scriptures know nothing of individual piety that is out of touch with the living body of God's people. And that's true. The Bible knows nothing of individual Christianity apart from the body, apart from the household of the faith, to use Paul's term from the book of Galatians. Well, let her see. Let her see. These building stones carry pleasing sacrifices. These building stones not only come to the cornerstone, They are not only constructed into a spiritual house, but they carry pleasing sacrifices. Now, this is where Peter switches metaphors. Now he begins to speak of this house of God as that which brings sacrifice. Again, in verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Why? Why? For a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament meant that the priest would carry the sacrifice to the altar. When Abraham laid Isaac at the altar, he carried him, the Scripture tells us, to the altar to be sacrificed. So this idea here is the same that there would be those who carry or offer a sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, we've talked about this many, many times, this was a figure, it was a foreshadowing, it was a a pre-representation of the sacrifice that would be made of the perfect Lamb, Jesus Christ. In Romans 12, verse 1, you see how this works for us in the New Testament with great clarity. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So what is this sacrifice that is carried unto the Lord, that's pleasing unto the Lord. It's all those things that you would think of that we consider to be the disciplines of the Christian life. You take your time, and with that time, you do what you do for the Lord. It's a sacrifice, in essence, to take your time that could otherwise be spent somewhere else and give it to the Lord. Time spent in listening to the Word of God. There's a sense in which you are bringing that sacrifice to the Lord in this very moment. Time spent reading his word, time spent studying his word, meditating on his word, memorizing his word, time spent praying, time spent counseling, time spent 
fellowshipping, time spent ministering, time spent admonishing. All those things that are natural to the Christian life, but in essence are a sacrifice that in most cases don't really feel like a sacrifice. Because why? Because it's a matter of enjoyment at this point. We are drawn to the cornerstone. In now being living stones, we not only want to come to the cornerstone ourselves, we want to come to Him so that through Him, we are bringing sacrifices to His Father that are pleasing to Him. We are willing to do without. We're willing to do without a certain amount of the money that we've been afforded. Why? Because that is a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. All those things that the Lord has entrusted to us our time, our giftedness, or our talents, as many would say, and our funds, our money, all of those things being offered back to the Lord, in essence, sacrificially. Although, as I said, it so many times doesn't feel sacrificial. Sometimes it will, maybe most times it won't. But either way, these building stones who are now a house of God are together sacrificing They're carrying sacrifices unto the Lord. So they come to the cornerstone, they're constructed into a spiritual house, and they together carry offerings or sacrifices to the Lord. So we've looked at the cornerstone. We've looked at the building stones of this house of God. Now we want to look at the master builder. The master builder. Letter A, the master builder's design. The master builder's design. Again, verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. This is a term that refers to the action being done to the stones. They're being built up by another subject. And as you know, that subject is God the Father. In verse 6, he says, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay... I set the stones in place. I do the work. I establish the cornerstone. I establish the living stones. This is a direct quote from Isaiah 28, verse 16. And here Peter references the term Zion, another word for Jerusalem. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. Because of the use of the word Zion, this likely refers to the temple in Jerusalem. What is the temple? The temple is a building made of stones, very carefully cut. In particular, the cornerstone would have been very carefully measured and cut so that the other stones would be measured by it and placed in light of it that the temple itself will be built with precision. What is the temple? What is the temple in Jerusalem? Ultimately, it is symbolic of the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That what would take place in the temple would ultimately be representative of what should take place before the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we see the master builder's design. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. Letter B, we see the master builder's delight. We see the master builder's delight. Not only his design, not only is this his design, but it results in his delight. Verse 5 goes on to say that this spiritual house is for a holy priesthood 
to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Sacrifices that are made through Jesus Christ are acceptable to God. Sacrifices that are acceptable to God are made through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being the vessel or the vehicle by which we understand what an ultimate sacrifice is. That he, the indescribable gift, as Paul references in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, being the ultimate sacrifice of the Father, that he would not only sacrifice his own life, but that the Father would sacrifice him. That he would be given up as an atonement for the sins of all who would believe in him. That that sacrifice was made for those who would repent and believe in the gospel. I have frequent occasion to explain this all-important truth to my young sons. And as you can imagine, it's a little bit interesting with my three-year-old. So I try to keep it brief, but I try to keep it clear. Jesus died. That's a sacrifice. He gave up his life so that you would not have to suffer forever for what you just did to your brother. See that? This is the beauty of what takes place in the Father's heart that is in some sense reflective of that truth. When you sacrifice for the Father through Jesus Christ, you are doing so in light of His sacrifice. Ask yourself this question. Do a little inventory of your interaction with others over the last day, the last week. The emails you've written. The conversations you've had. Wherever they've been. Wouldn't it be great if you could look back on that and say, in every instance, my every effort was to think in light of His sacrifice. So that in every moment, though it may be a sacrifice, it is given up to the Father, and therefore I can say because it's done through Jesus Christ, it's for His pleasure. It's for His delight. How about be encouraged by, in this moment, right now, be thinking of the reality that as you sacrifice for the Father, unto the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, there is not only the likelihood, but there is the certainty that what you do is pleasing to the Master Builder. The one who laid the cornerstone, the perfectly chosen cornerstone, which is precious with immeasurable value, and lined you as living stones up around that cornerstone so that you would be built up unto a house of God and therefore collectively proclaim his glories, proclaim his mercies, proclaim his grace, proclaim his greatness in a way that is sacrificial to you but pleasing to him. That's the church. That's the church. That's what the church does. That's what the church is designed to do. The master builder is delighted with a sacrifice of a holy, praying, singing, reading, counseling, ministering life. Can you imagine that? The God of heaven who created all things delights in your life when you sacrifice through Jesus Christ. Well, let her see. At this point, we've seen the master builder's design. We've seen the master builder's delight. And now let her see. We will see the master builder's dominion. The master builder's dominion. Continuing in verse 7, 
Peter says, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And this is where we see the dominion or the power or the authority of the master builder. And it says, to this doom they were also appointed. Or also to this doom they were appointed. This is the eternal torment which one experiences. Why? Because he disbelieves. He disbelieves. And in his disbelief, the master builder appoints him to destruction. This is the expression of the dominion or the authority or the sovereignty of the master builder. He's the master builder. It's his project, his plan, it's his design. And what he does, he delights. But the term here also is a grammatical indication that this appointment came after their disbelief. They disbelieved and also were appointed unto doom. So what do we say then to the person who disbelieves? Fear God, who according to Matthew 25 verse 46 has laid out a place of eternal torment for all those who disbelieve. Believe. And this isn't simply a matter of gaining fire insurance. It's not simply a matter of gaining the ability to avoid eternal torment. But the person who genuinely believes, think of it this way, the stone who is dead but is now a living stone desires the cornerstone. He longs to bring pleasing sacrifices to the master builder through the cornerstone. He doesn't bypass all that. He doesn't say, well, I believed, so I'm good. Let's party. He says, I'm changed. My life is his. Point number four, I want you to see the false builder or the failed builder. We'll call him the false builder. This false builder has rejected the cornerstone This false builder has rejected the cornerstone. So letter A, the false builder's disbelief. The false builder's disbelief. Back to verse 4, Peter says that the cornerstone has been rejected by men. Back to verse 7, this precious value then is for you who believe, but... For those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. Did you get the chronology there? Did you get the order of how that works? They stumble. Those who disbelieve stumble over the cornerstone because they are disobedient to the word. That's why they stumble. This is a direct quotation from Psalm 118, verse 22, where, again, Peter utilizes an Old Testament text very naturally with a recognition of the fact that that this was a, a foreshadowing of what would take place with regard to the person of Jesus Christ, that he would be this stone who is a stone of stumbling, but a rock of offense. 
But here, for our purposes, we want to focus on this idea that he is a stone of stumbling. He is the one who is rejected. Uh, the, the cornerstone is the one who is rejected. The one who rejects him is the one who chooses to disbelieve. So we look at the false builder's disbelief. This term here denotes the idea of a careful assessment and then a willful rejection. In other words, it's not just ignorant living. It's not a lack of awareness. It is that he examined the cornerstone and he said, it's not what I want. I don't like this cornerstone. I got different plans. I'm building a different house. I'm not interested in a priesthood. I'm certainly not interested in sacrificing in a way that brings delight to the God of heaven through the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. That cornerstone's not good enough for me. It's too righteous. The lines are too straight. It's, I don't know, it's like it's cut with perfection or something. Give me something that's more like me. Give me a Jesus that fits my way of living. Give me a cornerstone that's, that's comfortable, not one that makes me examine my life, not one that forces me to be surrounded by people who insist that I examine their lives. Give me a jagged cornerstone, you know, one that's got chips and, you know, it's even got a big chunk out of it maybe. It's, it's obviously imperfect. I can, I can live with that. No, that won't do. That won't do. The true cornerstone is one that serves as a disappointment for the one who rejects it. Why? Because it is perfect. Letter B, the false builder's disappointment. The false builder's disappointment. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected became a stone of stumbling. Why do they stumble? They stumble because they disbelieve the Word of God. That's what Peter says. They stumble over this stone of stumbling, which is also the cornerstone, because they reject the Word of God. The stone that was designed and fitted exactly for a foundational position, when the passerby comes across it blindly, stumbles over it. If he's a living stone... He's looking for that cornerstone so he can get in the groove. So he can fit in. Not that he would be an individual, but that he would long to be, as Paul has shown us in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, a working member of the body of Christ. Or in this case, a living stone, useful to the construction of a household that pleases the master builder. But there is much disappointment for the one who stumbles over the stone of stumbling. You see why in emergent churches or seeker-friendly churches that the whole idea is about making Jesus palatable? You see that? Make him friendlier. Make him suit the the needs and the desires and the belief system of everybody. 
Just come as you are. There's no need for change. There's no need for repentance. There's no need for rejection of the man that you once were so that you would be the man that you should be. There's only uh, an effort to dress this stone up. In fact, let's not just dress this stone up. Let's replace it because the perfection of this stone is unrealistic. It's impossible. So let's give people something that's doable. Let's make it reachable. Let's put it within their reach. Something that would be possible for them to achieve in and of themselves. Why do they stumble? They're disobedient to the Word. By the way, if you never trip over this stone, you will never rest in it. The man in the pulpit who does not trust the master builder to use the stumbling stone as a stone of offense to bring a resting place will dress this stone up and present something inoffensive so that anyone will embrace it. He'll do whatever he can to avoid an accurate and literal and biblical presentation of this stone of stumbling. Letter C. I want you to see the false builder's destruction. I want you to see the false builder's destruction. We've seen the false builder's disbelief. We've seen the false builder's disappointment. And now we'll look at the false builder's destruction. Again, back to our text, Peter refers to this stone that became a rock of offense. Peter pulls this from Isaiah chapter 8. This is a different term. This is not the word stone. It's the word petra. This denotes an embedded cliff-like rock that no human opposition can move. It's offensive, and any willingness to ignore it will result in destruction. Jesus references this same idea in Matthew 21, verse 42. He says, Did you never read the Scriptures? Isn't that a great question? Someone who's thinking about spiritual things. They, they think they understand things. And, and maybe there's a moment of willingness to, to be taught, to really think rightly, to really begin to think biblically. And this isn't a bad question. Did you never read the Scriptures? It's not manipulative. It's not intended to make people feel bad. But have you ever read the Bible? Jesus says, The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And who, who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. We shouldn't move by that too quickly. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. The one who falls on the stone, the one that stumbles over the stone, ultimately sees it to be a cliff-like rock of destruction that he in his human will cannot move but can easily be crushed by. On whomever it falls, it will scatter him like the dust. 
You see, this, this is Jesus. Think of it. This is Jesus in His earthly, human, spirit-filled ministry, hearkening back to an Old Testament prophetical statement now used in its perfect venue. You wondered what this, this rock of offense was. You wondered what this stumbling stone was. Jesus, Jesus makes it clear. All this talk in our society about having a relationship with Jesus. Let me just tell you, every person on the planet has a relationship with Jesus. He is either your hope or he is your executioner. He is a rock of offense for the person who disbelieves. In verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. Isn't that great? I mean, there's a, there's a moment of reality. You know, light is shed on these guys' minds. They think they're religious. They believe they are religiously elite. They believe that they set the standard. I'm the cornerstone, they might have said. But they have at least enough cerebral activity to realize that he's talking about them. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. So what's the result? <laughs> High five, Jesus, that's great. No. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. And they weren't seizing him to give him a hug. They wanted him dead. It's not unusual with an honest, clear, and biblical expression of the gospel for people to want you dead. Why? Because the one you represent, yourself as a living stone, is the cornerstone to you, but to them, he's a rock of offense. They're not saying, yeah, I'd like to go to eternal torment, but it is the result of obstinate disbelief close with this passage in Hebrews 4 Hebrews 4 verse 14 therefore therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, we give thanks to you this morning for Jesus Christ, who is our cornerstone, whose, whose life and obedience to you makes him a choice subject of yours, precious to you, beyond measure as a result of you making us to be living stones who long to be with the cornerstone we equally long to live lives that are a sacrifice of obedience for your delight and Lord as we rest in this hope we pray that you would help us to increasingly and more passionately rest in this hope but Father we plead with you to help us to be compassionate toward those who see Jesus Christ as a rock of offense 
Give us compassion for those to whom Jesus Christ is a stone of stumbling. And Lord, may we exhibit that compassion by refusing to water down the biblical text, to dress him up to be something other than what he is. That he will judge the quick and the dead is an ultimate and eternal reality. So, Father, we look to you, thanking you for the compassion that you have extended to us, the grace that you have shown on us. And we pray that you would use us to do the same for those whom we know who this day, as far as we know, are destined to be crushed by the rock of offense. May they know him as the cornerstone. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.